It's time for Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo. This new show discusses trends, technology, and tactics to help the listener learn more about improving sales, saving money, and fulfilling a personal mission through entrepreneurship. We'll discuss real estate with the local real estate managing broker, Barbara Newt, the owner of Newt Partners representing Compass Realty. But first, a word from our underwriter. Welcome to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM. I'm your host, Mark Mondo. We're on the air in Valparaiso, Indiana, and you can listen to us streaming on the website at wvlp.org or use the TuneIn app on your mobile device and look for WVLP. 103.1 FM WVLP is a local nonprofit radio station based in Valparaiso, Indiana. This show, like many of the shows on WVLP, are made possible by the generosity of donors and underwriters. We accept donations at WVLP.org. Simply click on the support tab and make a one-time donation or sustained pledge to WVLP. All donations are tax deductible. Underwriters are made up of businesses and organizations that support the shows on WVLP. Getting down to business with Mark Mondo would like to thank Homes by Hortensia, a Coldwell Banker affiliate in Porter County, Indiana, for their support. Homes by Hortensia has served the region's residential real estate needs in Indiana for over 12 years. Contact Hortensia Moreno or Tiffany Zorio at 219-249-5118 or visit homesbyhortensia.com. Homes by Hortensia, habla español. Hey, welcome to the show. In case you're a new listener, here's my backstory, and I'm sticking to it. I've been a consultant for small businesses for the last 25 years, helping small businesses implement customer relationship management software, aka a CRM system, where I learn their business processes and customize the software to help them gain an advantage in sales, marketing, or customer service. But there's much more to becoming a success in business than just having a good CRM. That's why I bring on guests to tell their stories and share tips on either technology, tactics, or trends they use to become successful. So let's get right to it and introduce everyone here today. To my side is the producer, the star soprano, and she's my wife, Mrs. Cynthia Zimmerman. Hello, hello. And now let's bring out our guest, Barbara Newt. Barb has made real estate her career since finishing school. She is a seasoned professional with more than 21 years in the industry. She has won countless awards over the years, but her true reward comes with happy clients. With boundless energy, she knows client commitment, tough negotiation skills, and the ability to communicate have become extremely important to her to to successful real estate transaction. Moreover, she understands that buying or selling a home is really a huge financial and emotional commitment. Barb helps people out in Lake, McHenry, and Northern Cook County, which is north and northwest of Chicago. Barb grew up in the Northwest Burbs and continues the tradition of raising her family in the area. Oh, before I go further and Barb gets to talk, I found a fun fact about her. (laughs) She didn't share this when I met her at the local networking group. She really don't kind of lead with this either, but she is also a national on-air personality. She was on a TV show called The American Dream on the American Dream TV Network was a national television show highlighting 
Lifestyle and Real Estate in Chicago. It aired on uh, all the traditional stations, ABC, CBS, NBC, Travel Channel, Fox, as well as streaming platforms like Roku, Apple, and Amazon Prime. So you've probably already seen her. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Oh, this is kind of cool today. We're doing something different. We're taping the show. Uh, we're trying out a new space here in Gray's Lake called Agora Coworking. So we want to thank them for loaning us the studio space today. So what Agora does is they offer co-working. So let's suppose you're kind of done with the home office thing or you need a temporary office and you're in the northern Lake County area. This is really the only game in town. So it's pretty cool. And if this show keeps working with local guests that want to come on the show, we'll, we'll keep using this because it really creates a, an on-site studio presence, which sometimes gets lost in the world of Zoom. So thanks, Agora. And here we go. So I wanted to discuss with Barb today how the middle class can continue to leverage real estate as a means to take the next step up the economic ladder. And I was really motivated by this by going to a couple of different avenues today. One, I want to talk about with Barb how she can make, how somebody can make it as an agent. And two, making it in the investment world to own real estate and use that as a means for growth of your net worth and the business of yourself. Now, I want to kick this off with two recent experiences that literally happened in the last 24 hours and some of these hours in the last 20 minutes. My brother, who's been on the show before, Matt Mondo, is a commercial estate agent in South Florida. He is going to be a buyer's agent for two commercial properties totaling $11 million. The guy came in, his nickname is Billionaire Bobby. Billionaire Bobby came up to Matt's cohort and said, I need to buy $150 million in real estate straight away. So if Matt succeeds with those two properties he had for Bobby's interests, again, it's an offer. We don't know if it's closing yet. He will get a six-figure payout if he can close those deals. Going up to a six-figure payout in commission with just investing time and skill can really be a life-changing economic event for the better for him and his family. So that's an awesome experience and it's the real deal. I also just hung out and I got to tell him he's going to get a shout out. His name is Randy Cashmore in the same building here of Cash, Cashmore Financial. Yes, his name is Cashmore. His guiding philosophy, and he's a financial advisor, by the way, his guiding philosophy is to find asset classes that favor security over speculation and he, he sees 2024 as a bear market. And he was think, talking this morning, we had a, a networking meeting and a roundtable discussion about finances. And he likes precious metals as a hedge and you know, something that's more tangible than, I don't think cryptocurrency is one of those tangible things. And meanwhile, something anecdotally, it's kind of fun in my life. My property appreciated 30% in two years since I moved to Gray's Lake. And by the way, thanks Gray's Lake. Maybe that was Barb. You know, making sure those market, the market prices are appreciating. So it's all in a day's work. That's right. <laughs> you know, thanks. So let's, Barb, let's talk about your backstory and how you got here. Yeah. Okay. So how did you start off? Completely on accident. I am a very cautious person and I'm very, um, what's the word, protective, I guess, over money. So I looked at it, you know, I was raised by a single mom. So I always looked at it as I didn't want to, 
be frivolous. I wanted to have security. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. So if somebody would have told me at 18 that I was going to get a commission only based job where some months I might have closings and some months I might, and I would have to like build up a career over years and years, I probably would have laughed at them. And yet here we are 24 years later. And so I actually was in this building when it was a Remax office. So that was over 23 years ago. And I started my career here because one of my friends from high school, his mom was looking for someone to help be an admin and help her do her monthly mailings. And that was when realtors sent out recipe cards and all of those. What? All, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was, you know, call me if you want to sell your house or you want to bake brownies, you know, it was kind of right. those things went hand in hand. You, so, you keep your name out there. Yeah. Marketing, you know, back then everybody used to stick everything to the fridge because they didn't all have stainless steel where you couldn't put magnets on it. (laughs) So every time they went to get the milk, they would see your face. And so I would help her with that. And she was a very, very successful realtor in Gray's Lake. And so it was nice because I actually got to, it was almost like interning, I guess I would say, because I got to see how it was done and how it was done well. And then I could take that and make that my own before I went on my own. So. So did they, when you were 18, now remember, you can't legally drink yet. You can, <laughs> this is true. You can vote. Mm-hmm. You can sign legal contracts. You can drive a car. Yes. And I don't know if it. you can do any of those things well at 18, but yes, you can. Do that is good point. Good point. <laughs> and you're 18 and you're going to real estate school at this mm-hmm. point. So you finished high school and you're like, yeah. instead of going, you know, college for Cynthia and I's, uh, family background I was like hey go 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 to college go to college go to college go to college mm-hmm. you know because that was our way of mo- means of moving up because yeah. my grandparents grew up in the depression yeah. and my parents had high school education mm-hmm. and I actually side fun side fact that I found my grandmother through the ancestry.com records I didn't know this she only had an eighth grade education yeah. so two generations later my sister has a doctorate in pharmacy, wow. and we thought that was the means to go. And mm-hmm. Not that we're not doing okay, mm-hmm. but the theme of today is, can real estate do it for yeah. the middle class? And my parents did move up the real estate ladder. Mm-hmm. So, how, so you're 18. What happened? Well, yeah, and actually, I think that's a really good point. You know, obviously, when I was going to high school, I was going to high school here in Grace Lake. I, the plan was to go away to college, right? But being raised by a single mom... There wasn't always a lot of avenues that she was aware of where we could go and offset costs and things like that. Now I look at all the programs they have and the guidance you have to go to school, and it's just truly amazing. I say that because my husband works at CLC, so I have the inside scoop on all these things. And I'm like, where was all this stuff? So our kids are very fortunate with that because we we know a lot more than our parents knew, right? Oh, yeah. But that's a generational thing, right? You always want mm-hmm. more for, for your kids in the next generation. So I did take classes at CLC because I didn't know what I wanted to do, and it was an affordable way, and it's a great school for me to take small business, public speaking, and just things that I thought would be beneficial in whatever career I was going to do, not really realizing that um, one had kind of fallen in my lap and was going to evolve into what it is today. So, so I was taking some classes there. I started working for her doing real estate stuff. And then after about a year, she was like, Hey, I'd really like it if you could get licensed because then you can start helping me take clients out and do showings and things like that. So, um, As her business was growing, I was kind of this asset where she could kind of mold me into what she needed me to be, which was great. And um, 
So I went actually to get my real estate license. And at that time they were changing the age from 18 to 21. But when I signed up for the class at 19, nobody told me that. So <laughs> I took this class and I'm trying to understand real estate lingo, who's what, which was being taught by an attorney on top of it. And they have their own language as well. And so I'm taking, I'm getting ready to take the course test at the end. And they were like, wait a second, you're not old enough. They shouldn't have let you sign up for this. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and so they were actually great about it because it was right around the time I was almost 20. So I'd taken the course when I was 19, I was almost 20. So they said, because it was an error on their part, that they would let me every six months take an eight hour Saturday morning refresher without charging me. So that way I could maintain what I had learned and then take the exam as soon as I turned 21. That's excellent. So it was, it was. So I actually couldn't get licensed until I was 21. And now it's funny because they're now changing it again to where you can be 18, but you know, <laughs> that's so, here nor there. <laughs> so it sounds like the Illinois state legislator had it out just for you. I think so. Now that yeah. you bring it up. They said, we're in the clear now. You can put it back down to 18. She's now not 18 anymore. So now we can change it. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it was, it was a neat opportunity. I got licensed and then I, because I'd worked with her for so many years, I felt confident going on my own. So I went and switched companies. I was then at Century 21. It was a great place to start out as a new realtor because they had a lot of training. Nice. And it was a small Mapa company. The owner is family owned. He was an absolute sweetheart. His son worked there. His wife was there all the time. So it was just, it felt like a family. You know, I was going, I wasn't going to work. I was saying all family and friends. So and some of the relationships that I made at that office, I still consider some of those people my very closest friends. And they are a lifesaver in real estate when we all kind of need to like bounce ideas off of each other and things like that. So, but one of the crazy stories about it was that, you know, I was so young and I looked even younger because I, I just, yeah, people still question how long I've been in real estate. So I, um, I had a harder time because I looked young and people didn't think I knew what I was talking about. And they definitely didn't think I owned a house. So they would be like, yeah, but what do you, you know, what do you really know about buying a house? And I'm like, well, I did it. So I have to know something. So, so yeah, it was a little bit of a learning curve there and a little bit more of having to like prove yourself that you know what you're talking about. And one of my favorite stories, I say favorite now because I've gotten over the heartbreak of it when I was- The trauma's finally coming to an end. We're gonna peel back some layers at this therapy session that we're having today. And so I'd been chatting with this lady on the phone about selling her house in Lake Villa. It was in the neighborhood I grew up in. I knew the neighborhood very well. And we had multiple conversations over a several week period. And she was like gung-ho. She's like, all right, we're gonna sell our house with you. And then we're relocating and blah, blah, blah. And so I, I get to the front door and I have my, my briefcase that I got when I, I graduated real estate school and I'm there and I'm all excited and ready to go. And as I, I knock on the door, her son, Bobby, answers the door. And I'm like, Bobby. He's like, hey, Barb, what are you doing here? And I go, oh, well, I, I have an appointment with your mom. And as I'm talking to him, his mom is like peeking over his shoulder and like looking through the crack of the door. And then all of a sudden he like backs up and she puts her face by the door and she's like, I'll be right back. And then she closes the door and I'm like, okay, well, that's a little weird, but whatever. So I'm standing there. And, and then a a few minutes later, she opens it like the tiniest crack. Like I was going to, you know, shoulder my way in and arm wrestle her into signing a contract. And I was like, she goes, I'm canceling our appointment. And I go, wait, what? I was, I go, I don't understand. And she goes, 
I'm really sorry. She goes, I, I, I just can't list with you. And I said, well, I don't understand. I go, we, we had good rapport on the phone and everything seemed good. And she goes, well, I'll just, I'll be honest with you. She goes, you sounded older on the phone and your name is Barb. And that's an older lady's name. And I was like, oh, okay. And then she goes, and you know what? You're my son's age. You knew my son. And I would never fathom selling my house with my son and so the fact that you're the same age as him, it just, it just won't work. I'm, I have to ask you to leave. And she closed the door and that was it. And I went back to my car and I'm like, what am I doing? Oh, yeah. that's rough. Yeah. So it was my first listing appointment. And I remember going home and being like, okay, like we're, we're going to regroup and tomorrow will be a new day. And how can I make myself look older <laughs> <laughs> to match my name and my voice? How did, so. I'm working in it. We talked about this before we started. One of my friends, his name is Mark, actually, for WVOP fans. Yeah, Mark Maloney, he's on another show on the station, um, the Mark Mo Show and After Hours. So he's looking at changing his career as well or adding to his career. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the things that I told him was it might be an advantage that we're not aged out. Yeah. Yeah. With age comes wisdom and, <laughs> and a big, well, for most of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What happens when, because I've seen, I think they had, had somebody in the, that they passed away. They're like in their late seventies, early eighties, mm-hmm. do, do, still doing stuff. And I worked with the commercial estate guy. He was like 82, still yeah. doing stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it wasn't discriminatory and it's not like, you know, being a professional athlete where you're aged out. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that with wisdom and, you know, now you've got more than one yeah. year, one year under your belt. You know, I can't, it, it's interesting that you bring it up because my husband has asked me this question several times. Cause he's like, I don't know how you've done the same job for 24 years and you still get up every day and you look forward to going and you still get excited to, to do what you do every single day. And you know, my husband, like he was in the military and then he came and he was a police officer in the military and then he got out and then he was a teacher and now he works at CLC and he's not teaching. And so, you know, he's had like different career paths because you, you reach a certain point where you're like, okay, I'm kind of done with this. What's next. And I haven't yet. (laughs) So, so he's asked me that on several occasions. And I think that real estate is one of those careers where you never, it's not mundane. So you're not doing the same thing every single day. And so every day I'm talking to new people. Some days I'm invited to talk on a podcast, which is you hey, know, not where I thought that? it would be five years Work ago. So it's really advantage. exciting. And then, you know, it's different situations. And I think for my brain, I like it because I like problem solving. And it's not to say there's a lot of problems in real estate, but there's a lot of situations in real estate because you're dealing with people's emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And so not everybody can control those things. And, and so it's nice to say, all right, I'm going to get in front of this so that it doesn't become a problem. Or I understand that you're very emotional. Just talked to a very sweet lady today and she's going to be selling the house that she's owned for 35 years and has raised all of her kids in it. And I could hear the emotion in her voice when she started talking about having to start going through things and packing up to downsize. And, and it's all for the right reasons that she needs to sell, but it doesn't mean that there isn't heartache and some, some heartstrings being tugged at. And so it's nice because I get to wear different hats all the time. So I never get bored and it's, it's exciting. And so I think that goes with not aging out because you get so much out of it. And there's some people that have decided that it's not right for them. I think it's also how you set up your career. And are you setting this up to where someday you can step out of the business and it will still run like a career in an actual company? Or some realtors are running it where they are the only 
ticking heartbeat in that business. So if they are not going to go out and show houses, the doors are closed on that. And so it's kind of how you want to set it up and what you're putting into it to prepare for that. So yeah. talking about emotions, I know when I first bought my property, a condo, it was so stressful because mm -hmm. it was a huge financial commitment. Yeah. And, and I've been saving for a long time and I didn't want to make a mistake. Yeah. So my realtor was, you know, like you, she held my hand. She explained mm. things. And we had one experience where we went into look at a condo and it was ghastly. And we came <laughs> out and we we're both just putting on like our pageant smile. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We get in her car and I said, can I just say that was awful? She said, I am so sorry. <laughs> We have no control over. We have thing. no control over, and I didn't want to say anything until you said something because mm -hmm. legally I don't want to steer you in any oh, absolutely direction. But since you said it, that was gosh awful. <laughs> but eventually, I found a lovely condo in Round Lake Beach where mm -hmm. I still am, and I rode the recession wave. And yeah. I kept telling myself it's a long, you know, game. It's the long game. It's yeah. not a short game because everybody was flipping, trying to make oh, yeah. you know money, craziness. So now I'm in a pretty good place with this uh, real estate and, you know, I, I know how important it is because anybody in my family, extended relatives who have made it, say, to go to college or even a career that's not college-based has pushed themselves up financially in a good network mm -hmm. of wealth because they own property. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. And that was, you know, when it wasn't go to school, go to high school, go to college. Go to graduate college, <laughs> buy a home. I was like, okay, I've done all that. Can you just check, let me check, enjoy check. it? <laughs> you know, but it's, and it's also just asking people too, you know, who they recommend mm -hmm. as a good realtor. And I took out books from the library when oh you still gosh. did that. My sister had recommended one that I look at because I want to understand the terms because mm -hmm. you're like, you said a lot of it sounds very legal and I'm like, why do they call it? Oh, it's Latin. That, man, that's why they do that. Okay. I love but it. it was, I just had to know enough that I didn't feel stupid. And I was being, you know, pushed up against the wall saying, oh, this is my only way I can go. Yeah. So no, that's really good. And I think too, like there's realtors out there that they, there's been a lot of new realtors that have gotten in the business with the pandemic and the real estate market kind of going crazy. And I think what was missing from that is the training piece of it, mm -hmm. because what you learn in the classroom is not stuff that you actually use. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of memorization. Like I had to memorize all of these legal terms and things like that. And those aren't even really things that I handle because once we go under contract in the state of Illinois, we have an attorney review period and mm -hmm. the attorney handles that and mm -hmm. does the attorney letters. And then there was all the stuff that we had to memorize for the loans, but I don't actually use any of that stuff because then the lender jumps in and takes it. So it's not that you shouldn't know certain things, but you do need to know how they're relevant to your job because what we don't want to do is give the impression that we are an attorney or give the impression that exactly. we are a lender so we can tell them these are questions to ask your lender or these are questions to ask your attorney let me put you in touch with a good one that i know yes, is also going exactly. to take, take care of exactly and that's what i really appreciated yeah was yeah. that she was just very very good very practical you know said it like it is mm -hmm. but in a professional manner and i was just like 
this makes me comfortable. I don't yeah. want somebody who's just going to wax poetic. Don't worry, I'll take care of everything. <laughs> yes. No. Yeah. Cause then you don't know what's going on behind the curtain. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, Hey, is the Oz back there? What's happening for real? <laughs> <laughs> so, and I always tell people that too. I think that people make better decisions when they're, when they can see real numbers. Mm -hmm. And so doing those net sheets to see what it's going to cost you to buy, mm -hmm. that is something that you want to do. You don't want to just bump that off on the lender because the lender isn't doing those final figures until a week before closing. The buyer needs to know what their mortgage payment's going to be at the very beginning. Exactly. So that way you're respecting their budget and you're not showing them that house with $16,000 in taxes that now bumped their payment $400 over their budget because now, now you're not on their side all of a sudden they look at it as your salesman and you don't want to be a salesman if you want longevity in this business right right Ooh, yeah. segues to an interesting question we've talked about this a few weeks ago when we met at something's brewing mm -hmm. at the buyer's commission issue mm, yeah. um somebody made mistakes in this room and it's me I was in like, 2007 in, here. <laughs> in 2007 I, or 2005 uh, there was that pressure to go buy something mm -hmm. and i bought uh, I moved out of downtown Chicago and bought a house in Beverly, southwest side of Chicago. And I, because I knew the mortgage guy, I thought I was okay. Mm -hmm. And I didn't bring it, I didn't, I didn't hire a, a buyer's agent. Mm -hmm. And it was, in hindsight, it was free. Why, why didn't I do that? So the, <laughs> the, the seller was the buyer's agent. So he got double, double dipped. Mm -hmm. And yeah, my friend kind of helped me over the phone, you know, undercut the house a little bit, but I think I got fleeced at the end of the day Okay, because all the inspectors were on her side and, you know, and I look back and I'm like, wow, that was, that was expensive. <laughs> but now talk about the, that. Yeah. The, I don't know, was that a federal law about the buyer's commission lawsuits and all that? And yeah. Somebody, I don't know, I think Cobalt Banker got hit hard. Yeah, there's some big name companies that did, and it is nationwide. So a lot of people are like, oh, is this just a local issue? But it, it's not, it's nationwide. And and there was a lot of, there's a big lawsuit that got settled back in October. And it was talking about how sellers, their biggest complaint was their communication, right? That's, mm -hmm. always, that's always been the case is that when people don't feel like they're being communicated with, that's when there is emotions running high, questions being asked, lawsuits being threatened and things like that. My business has not changed with the lawsuit because I always believed in talking people's ears off and it's worked out well for me. So I do the listing appointment and I do the buyer consultations before I'll ever list the house or take a buyer out because you need to have those kind of conversations. So that way you can talk about the non-fun stuff about like, you know, okay, here, you're going to buy a house. Here's what earnest money is. Here's when you do the home inspection, blah, blah, blah. Now let's go have fun and look at houses. And that yeah. way you're not trying to explain earnest money while you're in a half bathroom and there's three <laughs> of you in there and you're like, did you bring a checkbook? And they're like, what the heck are you talking about? So, so I think it's that communication up front and kind of setting the stage for the expectations. And a lot of the complaints that were being brought up was that sellers didn't understand why they were paying the buyer's realtor's fee. Sellers didn't know they were paying the buyer's realtor fees because their realtors were not doing a net sheet showing where all the dollars were going. Mm. And so then all of a sudden they're at closing and they're looking at this and they're like, I'm paying thousands of dollars to the person who negotiated against me. Hold on. Why? And so sellers were looking at it as, well, if we had to pay our realtor to represent us, the buyer should have to pay the realtor, their own realtor to represent them. And so now there's a counter suit and it's, it's like, 
again, emotions running high. But like I mentioned, I've been blessed that my business has not changed because we do have those upfront conversations. And I think that for sellers who really felt like this was a win and they're like, ha ha ha, I don't have to pay out buyer's agents anymore. I'm going to save that money. What you have to look at is, is that paying out the realtors involved in the transaction is part of the marketing plan. And by paying out a compensating brokerage fee for a professional realtor to bring in a well-qualified buyer is part of the marketing plan. And the minute you're not willing to pay a compensation for that, you run into the risk that you're going to have a smaller buyer pool because you're eliminating any of the buyers who can't pay that compensation themselves. And as a seller, the goal is always to have the most amount of eyeballs on your house because then that creates more demand, which in turn creates a larger sales price, which in turn more than covers whatever that other realtor fee is. So mm -hmm. yeah, knowledge yeah. is power. It is. And it if really you're adding is. value to the transaction, mm -hmm. isn't that the buyer's agent's role? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and you know- or, you no, Sorry, it's the whole- yeah. Project. I yes. mean, if you're getting more demand and you're trying to, I, I know it's a one-time deal when mm -hmm. you sell a house, but it, yeah. it doesn't make sense that also, and that's why that for sale by owner stuff doesn't really work. Cause then you got to deal with everybody yourself mm -hmm. and then start turning your own attorney. And then you got to have an attorney there. And, and you definitely want an attorney in those yeah. situations. Cause otherwise who's going to bat for you, you know, especially mm -hmm. once the contract is signed and you know, it's all legalese. You don't right. you know it's 13 pages. Those contracts. I know. I remember that was. A and then every time I memorize it, they change it and add another page or no. they move the closing cost paragraph to page one instead of page eight. And I'm like, they do this just to mess with me. I'm convinced that that whole thing you know and a, a way to explain it i think that puts it in people terms is i explain like if you were going to go and buy a house and you were going to have it built by a builder that one guy is not building the house and doing the electrical and doing the plumbing and doing the concrete and the roof and all that stuff he's subcontracting and that's kind of what my role is as the listing agent is that mr and mrs seller when i meet with you you're hiring me to help you sell your house. How do we get to that goal? You're going to hire me. Here's my fee. Out of that fee, I'm going to pay for staging. I'm going to pay the photographer. I'm going to pay the guy to put that cute sign in your front yard. I'm also going to pay a professional licensed realtor to bring us a well-qualified buyer. So to me, it's just you hired me and now I'm going to make sure all the appropriate people have become involved to get you to your end game, which is to sell for the best terms, whether that's price or time frame. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Before we get into the next segment, we wanted to let you know you're listening to Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo on WVLP 103.1 FM, a community radio station out of Valparaiso, Indiana. Thanks for listening. And let's continue. Do you still think, especially with all the uh, people uh, pre, even before COVID, but especially after COVID, that a lot of people don't think that it's still the American dream to have a house, to, yeah. have, to have home ownership? That's a really good question. And I think that we all got really spoiled by interest rates being 3%. And it was a weird time in the real estate world because after we had the recession back in 2005, 2006, when things were the wild, wild west then, mm -hmm. we saw a lot of people losing money and losing homes and losing their savings and things like that. And so there was kind of this uh, a shift. 
And then in order to correct that, house prices and interest rates were both really low. And historically, that had not happened before. It's usually high sales prices, low interest, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time ever, historically, house prices and interest rates were both low. It was practically impossible to not want to buy a house. And also for the first time ever, it was cheaper to buy a house than it was to rent. Mm -hmm. So people could be renting something for 1400 and be able to buy the house three doors down and have a mortgage payment of 900, which was like unheard of. And now things are doing what they always do, which is self-correct and house values are going back up and now interest rates are back up. And so I, I hear that, but where I think that it is still the American dream to have it is again for that same security that I talked about from when I was a kid. And we are seeing a lot of investors come into the market and they don't have any kind of cap on how they manage their properties or how they charge rent. And with the rent prices continuing to go up, I mean, I've had some very, very tough stories from people who have called me and they've been renting for 12 years and now their landlord passed and the family's taking it over and they gave them 60 days because they didn't even have a lease anymore because they'd been renting for 12 years. And this one particular lady, she's like, I, I pay $1,100 a month in rent for a four bedroom house. Like mm -hmm. that doesn't, those are going for $2,400 right now. She has three dogs. Mm -hmm. It's almost impossible to find a landlord who'll take that many dogs. And because she wasn't planning on moving, her credit's not the best because mm -hmm. she's had some pitfalls with work because of COVID. And so it's like all of these things that she didn't necessarily have control over is now working against her. And that doesn't really happen if she owns that house, right. you know? So, so I think that there's still a level of security because you have control over that. You don't have to worry about somebody else telling you have to move. Some people have contacted me because their landlords are raising rent 200, 300. I had one person contact me. He was raising it $400 because he hadn't raised it in the last two years. And somebody whispered in his ear that he was way undercharging. So $400, single mom. And luckily she was able to go out and buy a townhouse and her mortgage payment is actually $200 less than what it was been if she would have stayed renting. And that's, that's with taxes and HOA. Taxes, HOA, homeowners insurance, everything. And there's a lot of grants out there for people who are first-time homebuyers. And if they haven't owned in the last two years, they're considered a first-time homebuyer. And they can get up to $10,000 towards their closing costs and down payment. Yes. And so yes, she was, I was a first-time homebuyer 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, definitely do your homework because mm -hmm. that really works in your favor. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Mm hmm, mm -hmm. Talk about that again, because that really <laughs> is the leverage. That's got to be the leverage to the next level. So yeah. is that through state? I, I think when we interviewed Lucas a few months ago, mm -hmm. he's an Indiana guy. So I don't know if that was per state or is that a federal program? Well, the or IDA county. program is Illinois Department of Housing Authority, and they have different programs. They have one that's 6,000, they have one that's 7,500, and then they have one that's 10,000. So there's a Lake County one, there's my Henry one, and then... Um, there's also different ones, like if you are under a certain income bracket, there's different programs for that. There's other ones that don't have an income bracket. There's some that you can pay back. It's $41 a month rolled into your mortgage. And then if you live in it for more than three years, they waive the remaining. I mean, there's a lot. And this is where it's like, as a realtor, you want to know enough to say, hey, there's these programs out there. And then you also want to have the lenders who are qualified to do this to make sure that you're putting those two people together to make sure they're getting all the different programs that are available. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's going to be pretty huge, especially I'm listening to my friends' kids who are really having a tough time 
leveraging that next step. Yeah. Because they're mid twenties, early twenties. What are they going to do? I mean, I, I got luck. I'd rather be lucky than good as my old <laughs> soccer coach would say. And uh, through COVID actually I did economically. Okay. And I, I didn't have a restaurant job or food service business. Mm-hmm. I have an IT business. So I kind of push people to enjoy IT and remote work and yeah. kind of push themselves on certain upgrades. Mm-hmm. So I did okay, but I got the economic stimulus package was really one of the linchpins that helped me jump the next level into mm-hmm. real estate. And now, like I said, I'm lucky. The property is appreciated. And I think this is one of the few things where debt is good for you because mm-hmm. you can leverage it because the bank actually likes you to get real estate, you know, assuming mm-hmm. your credit's okay and the, the deal works. There's not a lot of if you're, for the small business owner, if you're like a service-based business, you're going to try to get the same loan. Like, well, what's your collateral? My brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that ain't going to work. <laughs> it won't work. But so. it's a big brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best brain. You know, so no matter no matter how big your words are, but if it's like a service-based business, if you're a business coach or something that really doesn't have, you know, it's all service-based or nothing like with inventory or hard asset leveraging it, mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult to get that loan. So banks like you when it, you got a hard, a hard asset coming along with mm-hmm. it. Well, and they also have incentives if you're buying the property as your main residence. So when we worked during the recession and there was all those foreclosures coming on, investors were coming in and they were bidding cash. And so buyers were getting discouraged back then because they're like, well, how do we compete with the cash guy? Banks actually got smart to that. And they said, you know, the way to really increase property values is to be selling it to people who want to live in it as their main residence, make improvements, build their family, whatever. Um, And so they started doing something where when they would list the property for the first 10 days, investors couldn't bid on it to give people who wanted to buy it as their main residence an opportunity to bid. And then if nobody bid on that, then it could go to the investors. And so it's kind of an opportunity for people to get into the real estate market without trying to compete against the guy who's rolling in with cash. Right. Because so. usually the people who come in with cash just see it as rental property. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and then they, they control everything. Right. And yeah. And if you're in a neighborhood and there's 64 closures and mm-hmm. out of a hundred houses and they all become in real uh, rental properties, it's not really necessarily adding value to the neighborhood or the no, community. It, so, or mm-hmm. your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was really good when banks did that. They still do it to this day. Luckily, knock on wood, we don't still have a lot of foreclosures. And I think that's something that's important too, as people are talking about like, oh, it's just like the recession before. It's just like 2006. There are so many factors that are not making it like that. I mean, back in 2006, house prices were inflated like they are now. But if you lost your job and you contacted your bank and you said, hey, look, I lost my job. I can't make my mortgage payment. The bank would be like, and this is a you problem. So why are you calling me? Well, when COVID hit and people weren't able to work and they called their bank, the banks were like stepping all over themselves to help them because they realized they didn't want these properties back. So they're like, you know what? Here's a hardship. You can apply for it. You won't have to make payments for six months. We can tack it onto the back end or you can do a balloon payment after six months if you're back to work. Because some people just needed a breather to be able to collect unemployment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some people were going through a divorce and they didn't need more than six months to get it on the market, sell it, take their equity and go. And that was another big factor. People had a lot of equity. They still do. Mm -hmm. And so those were things that didn't exist back in 2006, 2008. 
And um, so we didn't see all these foreclosures and things like that, like we did. Now they're talking all the time about foreclosures being filed and stuff, but we aren't seeing those hit the market where it's affecting house values going back down. And there still is more demand in our area here in Lake County and McHenry County and Cook County than there are homes. And so they're predicting that there's still just going to be another 3% increase within the next year. Not we're not seeing it go down yet. Just not yeah. 30%, <laughs> which yeah. is good, right? Which is so very good. It's nice no, it's I, going up, but we also still have to make sure people aren't homeless. <laughs> yes. Well, that, yes. and I think it was an anomaly and I caught the good side of the anomaly for that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you're living in the right spot because we had a big push from Chicago up here. So it was interesting to see because usually when people are moving to Chicago, it's for lifestyle, right? You're not, you don't care that you have a 900 square foot condo because you're not inside all the time. You're doing all the stuff that Chicago has to offer. And when the world is shut down because of a pandemic and you can't do any of those things, all of a sudden housing's housing was selling out here like crazy. And even like waterfront properties and things like that. Back in 2017, we had a big flood out here. You couldn't give away waterfront property. Right. All of a sudden, we don't we can't keep waterfront property now because it's secondary homes, it's multifamily homes. Families are going in on waterfront properties together and they're taking turns vacationing on the chain of lakes and things like that. So it's definitely a different, a different dynamic up here, and our area is booming because of that. So you moving from the city up here was a, a good move. <laughs> no, I, I got lucky. It's a very hyper-local tangent, and we'll stay on it very briefly. Why is Cherry Creek the only townhouse section in Lake County with two car garages? <laughs> it maybe maybe it just feels that way. <laughs> it kind of did. When I was looking here during the time, everything was one car garage in my budget range except for Cherry Creek. And to go back to the topic for everybody else, go get a buyer's agent. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't cost you because the buyer's agent to get my place to Cherry Creek, they what's it called? Off-market listing in MLS. It's not quite on the MLS for the public, but the agents knew about it among mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah. And this property didn't go on the market. My agent happened to be Mark as well. Not the new <laughs> agent, Mark, but this is previous agent, Mark, out of Dreamtown Realty. Too many Marks in I our life. I was going to say, my goodness. Like <laughs> Once I started dating this guy, suddenly Mark, people named Mark just kept popping up in his his yeah. group. And I was just like, I don't you guys. Patrick, yeah. my, my husband's name. Dad's just name, what is boss's name. Oh yeah. <laughs> so Mark found that property off the, the what do you call that listing? The MLS or the private listing? Private listings. Uh, yes. Private listing. The coming soon. The coming mm-hmm. soon. It was in the, it was intra agency. So mm-hmm. Dreamtown to Dreamtown. Yeah. And Mark, my agent, agent Mark said, get this now. Yeah. And I bid maybe a little bit over asking just to, to be yeah. courteous. And it was done mm-hmm. and everything it was closed. also because you allowed the sellers time to oh, get yeah, they, they needed extra year. time mm-hmm. to wait for their kids to get it you know finish the school year and, yeah. and move south and he was he was like yeah i'm not in any rush well and i'm glad you brought that up because that brings a valid point a lot of times people will say oh well with zillow now and truly and all these things like are buyers agents even necessarily relevant anymore mm-hmm. and it's like not if you just need us to open the door because you don't need us to just open the door, right? But they're like, well, you know, we all have access to that, but it's that piece of it. It's your realtor being able to find something before it hits the market and say, hey, look, you're going to have a lot more competition if this hits. Let's get strategic. Let's figure out how to get you this. But then also it's the big picture because 
you know, I have some clients right now and one of the biggest sticking points that sellers are running into is they know their house is going to sell quickly, but where are they going to go? Exactly. And so when I meet with buyers and we do these consultations, I'm like, what's your time frame? Because if they say, oh, well, my lease isn't up for eight more months. I know I'm early. I'm like, no, you are perfect because we can go look at houses. And when we find the right one, you can say, hey, Mr. Mrs. Seller, do you need a longer closing date to find a replacement property? I can give you four months. And all of a sudden you are the golden child buyer. That's what happened here with Mark. Yes. Yes. There were two other people, I think, bidding on it for more money, but they wanted to move right in. You know, and he was like, no, I can yeah. wait. I can yeah. wait three months. Yeah. And they were like, sold. Mm-hmm. And, and I wound just... up beating lease, but it didn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and like people always assume the seller wants to close quickly and they want the most amount of money. But time frame is important, especially mm-hmm. with other factors like a job transfer or kids in school, like right. you just brought up. And or some people are building new construction, so they need that flexibility so that way they don't have to move twice because that's also expensive. So mm-hmm. sometimes timing is money. And so it's nice because the right buyer's agent will talk to the listing agent and say, what's your seller situation? What's important to them? Closing date, terms, whatever. And then we start throwing out terms like appraisal gap writer and the escalation clause and buyers are like, wait, what? What? And so that's why it's important (laughs) that we can talk through what those terms are and why it might make their offer more important and stand out from other ones. Um, Because at the end of the day, sellers have a lot of offers coming in. So they're going to go with the path of least resistance that makes the most sense for them. And it isn't always just throwing extra money at them. It's it's Mm -hmm. finding creative ways to to make your offer more appealing. And that's where experience comes in. And I think that's something that led to a lot of these lawsuits is as new agents, this is life experience. It is transaction experience that you gain that knowledge over doing hundreds of transactions over years. And if you're with a real estate office where they're not doing these kinds of trainings and you're not shadowing anybody or you didn't join a team where they can walk you through all these situations, you're going out to it blindly and you don't, I'm not saying these agents did anything maliciously, but they don't know what they don't know. And so if they don't know it, how are they able to express it, teach it, educate their sellers? And now some of the sellers are feeling like you did where you were like, I kind of feel like I got duped in that one deal. And it's like, you don't want that experience. So again, it's not anything that I think was necessarily done maliciously. It's just not not knowing. And there's just so many new realtors. And now there's real estate offices that are popping up and they're like, oh, hundred percent commission. It's great. And you get zero support because it's literally a brick and mortar building. Mm. Nobody's there. There's no staff, there's no training, there's nothing. And the realtors have all these, all this commission breath and that's all they care about because they want all their commission. Well, yeah, you better start stockpiling it because you're going to end up getting sued if you don't know what you're doing and you're not getting any guidance. So, yeah. So if somebody wants to become a realtor, Mm -hmm. what are some of the like the five top things they need to do to prepare to become a realtor other than, you know, getting the license and everything? Make sure you're at least 18 and you can get licensed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, 21? Oh, no, No, 18. Oh, sorry, Barb. Barb. Yes, yes. Now they're like, all right, she's old enough now. Um, So realistically, I am a big promoter of joining a team, which I know a lot of realtors are like, oh, they take so much of your money, right? Are you Mm -hmm. laughing because you've had this conversation with somebody? No, (laughs) my money. (laughs) 
commission <laughs> breath is talking again. Yes, exactly. Right. So, so the realtor's like, oh my gosh, they're going to take half my commission or whatever it is, but 50% or 60% of something is better than a hundred percent of nothing. I'm a big promoter of that. And what you can't put a price tag on is the knowledge and experience that you're gaining by working on that team and being around agents who are doing this every day, who have been doing it, who can answer your questions and just, you can shadow. Like when I was working with the realtor, Nancy, when I got started, just shadowing her and seeing how do you handle these kind of obstacles? How do you handle negotiating? How do you handle when your seller calls you because somebody didn't lock their back door and they're upset at nine o'clock at night. Oh my gosh, that just reminded me of the best story ever. I don't know how I didn't think about this earlier. So I, as a new agent, had a house here in Grays Lake. I was so excited. It was a higher priced home at the time because the market was down. It was that 2008. So things were selling very cheap. And this was like a $300,000 house. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a millionaire. So I was so excited. <laughs> And I had the house listed and these people kept a meticulous house. You would never know they had dogs, nothing. They had white carpet, uh -oh. real estate 101. Please don't do that. But <laughs> so I had in there, you know, come in, remove your shoes, wear shoe covers. You know, if you go outside, don't come back in the same way, go around through the gate, whatever. And so my clients call me and they're like, it's like nine o'clock at night. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Why are they calling me? So I answer the phone. I'm like, hey, what's going on? And she is just upset. She's crying. She's emotional. And she's like, we just got home from the kids sports and there is dog poop all over my house. And I was like, uh... wait, what? And she's like, yeah, it's everywhere. It's on the stairs. It's going up the stairs. It's she goes, I can literally see the footprints from when they went in the backyard, came in and like walked a circle and then went around this chair. And she's like, it's everywhere. And I said, I am so sorry. So I called the realtor and the realtor was very apologetic and was like, I'm sorry. They went out into the backyard and then they came back in and they didn't take their shoes back off. And so I expressed, you know, and again, through the experience that I had of shadowing this other realtor, I was able to say, okay, here's how we're going to get on the solution side. You're going to pay to have all these carpets cleaned, deodorized and sanitized. And then I suggest that you contact the seller directly and let them know that, you know, it was a mistake and, and it's a learning lesson for you and, and what else can you do for them? Mm -hmm. So you were the so managing broker during that? I was, I was the listing agent. I was yeah. representing the seller. Yep. And so, so we get all this, oh, I do a three-way call. They talk to the seller. Seller's going to get everything priced out just before midnight. My phone rings again and it's my seller. And they were getting ready to go into bed into their bed and there oh, was no. dog poop on their bed. How? Because these people hadn't been watching their kids. So when they came in from the backyard and they were walking around downstairs, their kids went upstairs and climbed on the master bed and were jumping from the bed onto the, uh, you know, those benches that are at the foot of the bed. So they were outside and they stepped in dog poop and then they, they went came in the backyard <laughs> stepped in dog poop, then came in, maybe didn't realize it. I don't know how dog poop doesn't smell like candles. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're like, what is that? This smells like home. So, you know, that, yeah. So then I guess while the adults or whatever were downstairs, the kids must have stepped in it and then they were running around and then they'd gone upstairs and then it, they must have gone on the bed and they were jumping from the bed to the bench that was at the foot of the oh bed. Oh my goodness. So so needless to say, it cost the realtor almost three thousand dollars 
because they had to have all the carpet cleaned, deodorized, sanitized. And then this heavy comforter down comforter on their king size bed had to be sent out. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And then the material that was on the bench at the foot of the bed had to be sent away to actually be replaced. And so that realtor, it was almost $3,000 that the realtor had to pay. So, but again, as a new realtor at 21, 22 years old, how would I have handled this rightfully so emotional seller? And because I'd had that training and that here's how we're going to fix this. Here's let's think outside of the box. How can we do this? I was able to kind of talk them through it and get everybody on the same page. And, you know, we ended up selling the house to somebody else and they were fine. And and they thanked me and they were like, wow, you really talked us off the ledge. And I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, this is why realtors drink wine at the end of the night. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's five o'clock somewhere. Okay. Yes, that is correct. (laughs) So yeah. So those are like experiences that I always joke that we should have a uh, chicken soup for the realtor soul, because Mm -hmm. sometimes when these things happen, we start questioning ourselves and we're like, are we the only one that has these experiences? And then you talk to other realtors and you're like, oh no, this is just real estate. Welcome to, this is why I don't get bored after 24 years of doing real estate. You're working with human beings. So it's always going to be interesting. (laughs) And tiny human beings and animals and everything else. (laughs) Well, this, uh, that segues perfectly in that show and Connor, we had the two commercial guys and they said, yeah, team up. Mm -hmm. Even, even, especially in commercial guys, they more of a rogue personality Mm -hmm. by default, Mm -hmm. but they put, that's how billionaire Bobby came in and Matt got an opportunity. Yeah, he's going to split the commission with his colleague who's like, I can do that on a $10 million deal. I think there's money to go around. Yeah. You don't yeah. have to be, what do you call that? Commission breath? Yeah, commission breath. I've never heard that I phrase. I always say I if you are talking to clients and all, and you're treating them like a check or you're treating them like a transaction where it's like, let's just get it done. Let's just get it done. They will smell your commission breath a mile away. You'll never get a referral because you don't care about them and mm-hmm. what their journey is. You care about closing the deal. Right. And it is very obvious. So that's the number one, number one thing I tell realtors. And to that point too, as far as like partnering up with people, I think it's important that realtors, because they always think that we have this glamorous life where we create our own schedule. And I have clients that'll call me and they'll be like, Barb, I want to be a realtor. And I'm like, well, tell me why. They're like, well, it's just fun to hang out and blah, blah. And, I, was and like, I can thank you. drink I Chardonnay that. in the <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and get poopy phone calls. It's great. So, but I, I let them know that yes, we do control our schedule and we do have a flexible schedule, but we have to be mindful that our schedule is flexible around our client's schedule. And when are most people not working? It's in the evenings and on the weekends. Right. And so two points to that is one, working with a team or having a partner creates that work-life balance because it's important to have that because you are a better agent and a better mentor and a better problem solver in this business when you have downtime too. So, you know, I have four kids and I'm very blessed with the people that I work with because my son is a hockey game and somebody needs to go and see a house that night. I can text the people on my team and say, Hey, is anybody available at five o'clock? And I can still go see my son play hockey. You know, I've got kids in sports, but also we have family in different states. We have family in Michigan and Texas and Florida. And when I want to see them, I know my clients are not missing out on something. Um, And I also don't feel like I have to be on call 24 seven. So that work-life balance is really important. And, you know, I I think that's something that sometimes is missing with realtors when they get into it and they are, they're all, you know, they want to do it all themselves. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's a big piece to it. So, yeah. 
There was another thing I was going to say because I said there was two and I can't remember what that other one was. What were you saying before that? I have stage fright on the microphone. (laughs) Well, when you started talking wine, I totally lost my train of thought. So, (laughs) oh, good. I'm not alone. So, this is good. That's why it's perfect. So, So do you think we've got about five minutes left, Mm -hmm. four to five minutes? Do you think you get in the multifamily stuff or are you you starting to get? What do you see on the investment property side for people? Investments have been a really, really good opportunity for people for a long time because it's like another revenue of income. And I always joke that it paid for my daughter's braces. But here's something that I think is important because sometimes people feel like they can't get into it because, oh, it's it's people get it. Down yeah. and, or they're yeah. like, oh, you know, it was handed to them from their family or whatever the case is. And my husband grew up always renting his family always rented and we grew up in one single house my entire life until I moved out at 18 so I didn't even know a realtor was a thing because mm-hmm. I never moved or sold our house mm-hmm. and so um so for the two of us to have investment properties and things like that it's it's kind of we're like the first generation and so it's cool because our kids don't know any different they think it's normal you have investment properties mm-hmm. as part of your retirement but it's a very big deal for us because we're the first ones that did it in our family. And so I think it's just like having a 401k or an IRA and things like that. And and I think it's important to, again, talk to professionals who can give you advice on how to do it correctly, because the best advice I ever got from my friend, Tony, she's a longtime realtor. She told me the biggest mistake that landlords make is they try and get somebody in the house instead of the right body in the house. And so she's like, if you are so concerned about, I just got to get somebody in here. I got to get somebody in here. The first person who throws you a roll of quarters, you're like, let's do it. Let's sign the lease. You look great. You got a pulse. Let's make it happen. And then you don't ever get a dime from them again. And so Mm -hmm. she said, you just have to take the emotion out of it and say, okay, I'm going to have these qualifications and they have to meet these qualifications or I will not rent to them. And then you get really good renters. So mm-hmm. we've been very blessed with so that. So in, in multifamily, do you recommend a property manager? Yes and no. We don't have a property manager for our properties. And my husband and I are not handy to save our soul. So people are always shocked when I tell them we don't have a property manager. And again, I think if you do enough of the pre-screening and things like that up front, you don't necessarily need to be paying for that service every single month. But if you want to be completely hands-off because you don't know how to not be an emotionally attached landlord, then yes, hire somebody. So that way, you're not like, well, they didn't pay me this month, but it's Christmas. So it's okay. And it's like, eh, yeah. <laughs> property manager is not afraid to knock on a door, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And you know, a lot of times too, with property managers, their role used to be to go and collect the check and their role would be to make repairs. But if you have maintenance things already scheduled, you don't have to worry so much about getting that random call at two o'clock in the morning about a toilet. And then everything is done through direct deposit now. So the check can't get lost in the mail anymore, which is nice. So, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Perfect. So yeah. we're wrapping up the hour. And what we've learned from Barb is get into real estate, get get some property, because that's, I think we've established through at least three shows now that it might, it is one of the last levers for the middle class, the working class to get up to the middle class or the middle class to get to a little more middle class. Like your family, my family's now the first to own our generations to own commercial property. Cynthia's family's got some investment property in Mm -hmm. Maryland. Mm -hmm. Yeah, My grandparents came over from the depression and they had less than nothing. So Mm -hmm. it's there. That's my anecdotal evidence. And (laughs) 
<laughs> and you and you can find all these YouTube procrast procrastinators, whatever they are, <laughs> YouTube YouTubers as well. I said that word really wrong. So with that said, I think we're wrapping up towards the end of the hour. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are. And we would like to thank Barb, Barb Newt for being yeah. on our show. Thank and you guys for You were really me. easy to talk with. Oh, I mean, it was just like letting you roll. <laughs> and I and I learned more because, you know, we recently got married over a little over a year ago. And we both have our own property. Mm-hmm. And we know eventually we want to move into one property together and yeah. rent our properties. Yeah. So this is all good information to have. Mm-hmm. Because knowledge is power. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so thank you for being with yes, us. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. And it's always a good time to, to talk about it because there's always that stigma about what real estate is. And so it's kind of nice to be able to do a little bit of a deeper dive and, and show people what's going on behind the scenes. <laughs> you are a human being. <laughs> yes. Yes, this is not a recording. (laughs) (laughs) If you missed some of the show today, you can listen to the replay on Thursday at 1 p.m. Central Time on WVLP 103.1 FM or live stream at www.wvlp.org. And we store the past shows on Mark's website at www.mondocrm.com forward slash podcast. Or you can listen to the podcast on your favorite app at any time. We're listed in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Podbean. Just search for Mark Mondo, and the show will come up, and you can subscribe to the show for the latest updates. And the show is now on YouTube. Just search for Mondo CRM, or Getting Down to Business with Mark Mondo, and the episodes will come up on the YouTube feed. Thank you very much for spending time with us today, and we look forward to you joining us again next week.